Hey listeners, we have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at DeFacto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind 20,000 Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May 22nd. Now, onto the show. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. I'm Dallas Taylor. I bet if you ask any adult what their favorite or most hated advertising jingle is, they can give you an immediate response and probably sing every single word. Jingles are part of our culture. They've sold everything from toys. Cleaning products. Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will clean your whole house and everything that's in it. Mr. Jingles have also been used in PSAs. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Don't and they get made fun of by comedians. You think they worked hard on that song? What do you got so far, Bill? Uh, uh, hot pocket. That's good. That's very good. Not as good as your buy menin, but it's good. Our parents and grandparents may have been the first generation to hear modern jingles, but jingles actually go back all the way to the Middle Ages. Music and lyrics have been used to sell something forever. That's Dr. Timothy D. Taylor. Dr. Taylor is an author and professor in UCLA's ethnomusicology and musicology departments. There's a case of a medieval song writing in a jingle from Street Vendor's Cry. Street Vendor was selling strawberries and, and raspberries. What we think of as modern advertising jingles started around the 1920s. This was all because of the rising popularity of a brand new device called the radio. But back then, advertisers were super skeptical that radio ads would even work. Because in those days, most advertisements were print advertisements. At first, people didn't want to impose a lot of hard sell messages on the radio, partly because of this print model, because they understood that if you didn't like an ad in a newspaper or magazine, you could just turn the page. With radio, it's more like somebody coming to the door. Broadcasters really wanted to avoid being too intrusive with advertising, but they also soon realized that they have bills to pay. So in the early 20s, a few jingles started creeping onto the airwaves, but most of them were for local businesses. The first big-time jingle that aired nationally came in 1926 for Wheaties. A sort of a lugubrious barbershop quartet version of a chorus from a jazz song from 1919 saying the virtues of Wheaties. It didn't ignite a kind of craze for jingles, which either among advertising agency people or the public. While it was the first nationally heard jingle, that Wheaties song didn't have the upbeat, catchy tune we expect from our commercial jingles today. 
That was pioneered by Alan Bradley Kent and Austin Herbert Kroom Johnson in 1939 when they wrote this song for Pepsi. So they took this English folk song, they kind of jazzed it up and wrote Pepsi lyrics, and they just walked into the office of the president of Pepsi, Walter Mack. They had a portable phonograph, and they played this song that they'd written that extolled the virtues of Pepsi, but also the price of Pepsi because it was half the price of Coca-Cola. And that was 1939 during the Depression. So if if you could buy the same amount of Pepsi for half the price as Coca-Cola, that was a pretty good selling point. And Walter Mack bought it on the spot. Walter Mack probably didn't know it then, but his decision would change the advertising industry forever. In this era, you could not lease radio airtime in increments less than five minutes. If you have a jingle that's 60 seconds, what are you going to do with that four minutes? So Walter Mack found a station that was down on its luck, and he made him an offer just to lease one minute of our time so he could air the jingle, and they did. And that really was the beginning of, you know, sort of the, the short-form commercial, which we're now, you know, inundated with, the 60-second or 30-second commercial. Pepsi's jingle exploded onto the radio with its bouncy melody, and it was played for years. The only reason it was pulled from the air was because eventually the company had to raise the price of their soft drink. But that jingle started a craze. Suddenly, jingles started advertising everything. I'm Chiquita Banana and I've come to say Bananas have to ripen in a certain way And when they're flecked with brown and have a golden hue Bananas taste the best and are the best for you So make a date today to see the USA This new craze for jingles started a whole advertising music industry. Jingle houses specializing in writing and producing commercial jingles began to spring up all over the country and hired musicians to meet the demand. These musicians were, you know, trained composers. They would have to demo a jingle for their clients, the ad agency clients, and usually, you know, some sort of brand manager present in the room too. So they'd show up and play the piano, which would be there in the room at the ad agency, and sing the jingle and try to sell it that way. Back then, being a jingle writer wasn't very glamorous. Most people didn't set out to be jingle composers. A lot of them wanted to be film music composers or later television music composers. It just wasn't seen as prestigious and you didn't get paid very well. However, composers did find creative ways to make their jobs a bit more lucrative. So a lot of composers would actually sing on their own commercials because then they got paid through the actors' unions instead of the musicians' unions, which paid much less well. But not just anyone could be a jingle singer. Jingle singers could walk into a studio and sight sing without having seen it before. They also had to have the incredible diction so that these crafted lyrics that sang the virtues of the product would be clear. Summer green, snapped and fresh, kitchen sliced to taste their best, tender beans are coming from the valley, from the valley, valley of the jolly, ho, 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 green giant. Some singers became 
famous for their diction. Linda November, who was really sort of the queen of jingle singers in the 60s and 70s and into the 80s, she could walk in and sight sing anything. And Tim really means anything. All these meows were all Linda. And here she is telling Mean Joe Green to have a Coke and a smile during a 1979 Super Bowl commercial. Advertising music was now officially commanding big dollars. Because of this, it began to attract bigger and bigger talent to write and perform jingles. In 1964, even the Rolling Stones sold their soul to Rice Krispies for the big money of advertising. Another incredibly famous jingle back in the day was written by Randy Newman and Barry Manilow for Dr. Pepper. In fact, no celebrity has more all-time jingle hits than Barry Manilow. Most famous people who work on jingles try to keep their involvement as quiet as possible. But Manilow plays his on stage on what he calls his VSM. VSM stands for our very strange medley. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it's a medley of of songs that you probably know, but I don't think that you know I had something to do with it. Get up, I'll get a chicken finger licking good. Have a barrel of fun. Goodbye, ho-hum. Say hello to your family. Come on, everyone. And Kentucky Fried Chicken. Have a barrel of fun. Ah, yeah. How can we forget? Whenever you're driving, and wherever you're bound Like a good neighbor State Farm is there State Farm is there State Farm is there I bet Give your face something to smile about Give your face something to smile about In the late 60s, jingles were becoming pretty popular, but up until that point, they were still really just practical and utilitarian. No one in ad music was really talking about their emotions or feelings. But all that changed with this 1971 commercial for Coca-Cola. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. This is one of the most famous commercials in the world. It features a diverse group of young people all singing together in a sun-kissed field. And, of course, they're all holding bottles of Coke. It celebrated our common bond as humans. And, um, you know, spend your money on Coca-Cola, obviously. Pepsi and Coke were in long-running battles. Pepsi's strategy was to say, if you're, you know, if you're cool, you'll drink Pepsi. Yeah. 
Coke and Pepsi's jingle war was so popular that it lit a fire for jingles in the advertising industry. Things took off with respect to using emotion to sell throughout the 80s. A lot of them really attempted to speak directly to consumers and using the second person. Sergeant, good morning. The jingle war between two soft drink companies led to other jingle wars between toys, board games, and even chewing gum. The 80s and 90s were an absolute goldmine for over the top jingles trying to one up each other. Crossfire, you get caught up in the crossfire. You get the idea. Jingles were everywhere. Until they weren't. Starting in the late 90s, jingles began disappearing from the airwaves. They were being replaced by popular music tracks. Ad executives now believed in the power of music. They also had plenty of money to throw around which meant that pop songs were in and old-fashioned jingles were out. The jingle fairly quickly fell into disuse. When baby boomers started to get into positions of power in the advertising industry, they just started to think that all these jingles were really trite. And they didn't have a problem of trying to use their own music you know, from their youth in commercials. Sometimes it was expensive, but it didn't bother them. And they wanted to try to do something more sophisticated or, or what they thought was more sophisticated. In a way, it strikes me as sort of odd that licensing, that is the use of a, of a popular song to use in a commercial or a TV show or a film, that that has become so dominant because wouldn't it be better to have music composed especially for your commercial or your, your TV show or your film? Even though there are way less jingles now than there were 20 years ago, it doesn't mean the medium is totally extinct. We still hear some national jingles on the air. But they're usually just rehashes of the past jingles. 800-588-2300-EMPIRE Today. And sorry to burst your bubble, but that whole Empire Carpet ad is not a local ad. It plays everywhere. You just think it only plays in your town. Anyway, since jingles aren't completely dead, are they ever going to make a comeback? I'm not in the business of predicting the future, so I don't know. It does seem reasonable that, as I say, you know, like a, a custom song made just for you is a pretty good idea. So maybe it will come back. It does seem reasonable that jingles would have a comeback, especially because so many effectively got stuck in our heads. But why are jingles so catchy in the first place? We'll find out after this. 
Why should you learn another language with Babbel? Well, there are a ton of reasons, but let's see how many I can fit into 60 seconds. First, Babbel works fast. You can start having conversations in another language in as little as three weeks. Next, it makes overseas vacations more fun and less stressful. I used it all the time on my last trip to Italy. If you work with foreign collaborators, Babbel can help you deepen those relationships. It's a fun thing to do when you need a break, and it's way better than doom scrolling. Babbel teaches you about other cultures. Speaking for myself, learning something new just makes me feel good. It's very affordable. And finally, signing up for Babbel helps support 20,000 Hertz. Okay, make that eight reasons, or otto ragioni, as they'd say in Italian. To get started on a new language today, here's a special limited time deal for 20,000 Hertz listeners. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription right now at babbel.com slash 20K. This offer is only available for our listeners. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 20K for 55% off. Babbel.com slash 20K. Rules and restrictions may apply. When I think about hiring, it just seems like it's more work, more stress, and more pressure. But here's how Indeed takes away all that worry. Indeed is the world's number one matching and hiring platform with over 350 million visitors every month. Indeed cuts out the work of hiring with smart AI technology that helps you find the right candidate quickly. It takes the stress out of the process with scheduling, screening, and messaging all in one place. So you know exactly what you're up to in the hiring process because Indeed keeps track of everything for you. Then, Indeed relieves the pressure of choosing the right person. That's because their skill tests give you the confidence that you've got the right candidate. So now when you think of hiring, don't think of all those negatives. Just think of Indeed. To try Indeed for yourself with a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility, visit Indeed.com Hertz. Just go to Indeed.com Hertz right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com Hertz. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NetSuite has simple solutions for complicated business problems. For example, let's say you open a bakery. Before long, your hotcakes are selling like, well, hotcakes. But you keep running out of ingredients. No problem, because not only can NetSuite automate your purchasing so you're never out of stock, but it can also check that your staff have the right training to make those hotcakes to perfection. NetSuite can even handle online orders so your hotcakes can really take off. Having one system handling all of this saves both time and money. And if there's two things we all want more of, it's time and money. Okay, so three things if you include hotcakes. That's probably why more than 37,000 businesses have already signed up for NetSuite by Oracle. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com 20k now to take advantage of this offer. That's netsuite.com 20k. NetSuite.com slash 20K. No, stop. No. No. (sighs) Odds are, after listening to this episode, you'll have at least one of these jingles stuck in your head for days, or weeks, or months. Sorry about that. So, what's happening in our brains? For that, Here's Dr. Kelly Jakubowski, a music psychologist at Durham University. Among other things, she studies earworms. An earworm is a piece of music 
that comes to mind spontaneously. We don't make any sort of effort to recall music. It just pops into our mind and plays incessantly on a loop. And so we can get earworms for just a few minutes, but some people might get an earworm, a song stuck in their head for hours or even a day on end, for instance. One large survey found that around 90% of people experience earworms at least once a week, and around a third of people experience them at least once per day. Creating a jingle that can get stuck in someone's head is a great way to make sure your brand sticks with them. So when we've recently heard a piece of music that can sort of activate it in our minds and it can play back spontaneously over and over, From the 50s well into the 90s, jingles were being played on every radio and television. If you were alive then, you heard the same songs over and over again, making it easier for them to recall spontaneously. Even songs that we haven't heard in years can be activated by a lot of different cues. So, for instance, if you see a person that reminds you of a song... When Michael Jackson died, we had quite a lot of people reporting Michael Jackson earworms, which were sometimes related to, you know, them listening back to the songs, but sometimes it was just them thinking about the news story, thinking about memories of, you know, Michael Jackson or going to concerts. Another trigger that can cue an earworm is seeing or hearing some of the words in a song. For instance, when I say, the best part of waking up, you think of this. The best part. And if I were to simply say, give me a break, most of us hear a lot of songs each day, and we can't recall each one at the drop of a hat. Earworms have some common qualities that make them easy for our brains to remember. So in addition to being upbeat songs, we also found that earworm melodies tended to comprise generic melodic contours. By the melodic contour, I mean the ups and downs in pitches in the melody. So they tended to be simple melodies in terms of the way the pitch goes up and down, which probably makes them fairly easy to remember spontaneously. So you don't want to have a sort of overall too complex melody, you know, that is really hard for someone to remember. This description also fits commercial jingles. Most have melodies simple enough that kids can sing them without any trouble. My baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name. It's M-A-Y-E-R. When it comes to earworms, jingles might even be catchier than pop songs. Pop songs can kind of unfold over two or three minutes or even longer, whereas jingles, you know, they really have to catch your attention in, in a few seconds. That can also probably add to the sort of earwormy nature of them. Jingles can also be very short. Many don't even take up the entirety of a 30-second commercial. When a song is upbeat, simple, and quick, it's almost guaranteed to get stuck in our heads, even if it's annoying. In fact, some of the same qualities that make earworms also have the potential to drive us mad. A song might have these sort of earworm qualities, the upbeatness or the easy-to-sing-along melodies, and it can still be something that we don't like. And I think part of that might be the melody is too simple to us. It has to meet that sweet spot. If it's a sort of too simple or generic song, then maybe it just becomes a bit... It gets irritating more easily, perhaps. 
The balance of musical complexity is important to a jingle and a jingle's target audience. For example, this old Toys R Us jingle is great for kids, but most adults want to rip their ears off. I don't want to grow up on a Toys R Us kid. They got a million toys and Toys R Us that I can play with. And here's an example of a slightly more complex jingle that's designed to appeal to adults. I want my baby back. Chili, baby back real. I want my baby back. Chili, baby back real. I got my baby back real. Interestingly, the same techniques that are used to teach children about the alphabet are also used to sell detergent. Mama lift them out with A-L-L, that's all. The stain lifter, that's all. This could also explain why so many kids' toy commercials used jingles. Kids were already used to learning through song, so it was a good way to market to them. Hey now kids, come gather around. See what just skipped in the town. So skip it, skip it. Do run, do jump, do hop, hop. And earworms aren't just an American thing. One of the the top songs that we had reported in that study was this Australian commercial that was made for the Metro Trains Company in Melbourne, Australia. It's called Dumb Ways to Die. And it's basically teaching people about public safety on trains, but it's a really catchy, catchy little song, and it has a little video that goes with it on YouTube. Be safe around trains, a message from Metro. Earworms are powerful. As we get older, we can have trouble remembering important dates and details, but can often remember every single word to a jingle from our childhood. The way that we remember music, for instance, as an earworm, it's an involuntary retrieval process. The way that we retrieve the memory is different to when we're deliberately recalling information like a fact or someone's birthday. We know that actually these involuntary retrieval processes tend to be sort of preserved longer as we age than deliberate retrieval processes which can actually deteriorate as people get older. Their frontal lobes in their brain and these sort of areas that are implicated in deliberate retrieval can start to wear out. You now certainly have a few earworms stuck in your brain just by listening to this episode. So, is there anything you can do to get these voices out of your head? One of the things that people can find annoying about the earworm is that you get this loop over and over and you don't get the sort of full song. One, eight, seven, seven, cars for kids. K-A-R-S, cars for kids. One, eight, seven, seven, cars for kids. K-A-R-S, cars for kids. One of the most effective strategies was to actually engage with the earworm song itself, to look up a recording of the song and listen to the whole song all the way through to sort of get rid of the loop. Some people found that if they find out something about the song or get some sort of closure, that can help them to get rid of the experience. 
The other thing that people tend to do is they tend to distract themselves with some sort of other auditory material. So that could be just thinking of a different song that they like better, playing some different music, listening to talk radio, and so on. So trying to engage their auditory cortex in a different way, basically, because you can't really have a song stuck in your head when you're sort of listening to something else or thinking of some sort of other song. Jingles seem so simple, but they're tapping into the deepest part of our psyche. Of course, some are super annoying, but others truly represent a product in a way that visuals just can't. And I, for one, miss them, and I think they need to make a comeback. So, to all you advertising executives listening right now, it's up to you to lead that charge. Twenty Thousand Hertz is produced out of the studios of DeFacto Sound. Go check out DeFacto's work at defactosound.com. This episode was written and produced by James Intracasso. And me, Dallas Taylor. With help from Sam Sneebly. It was edited, sound designed, and mixed by Jai Berger. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Timothy D. Taylor. You can check out Tim's book, The Sounds of Capitalism, about the history of music in the advertising industry at thesoundofcapitalism.com. Tim also has lots of other books about music that you can find at timothydtaylor.com. Thanks also to Kelly Jakubowski. Kelly is a postdoctoral research assistant at Durham University in the Department of Music. You can find out more about Kelly's work at dur.ac.uk slash music. The music in this episode is from our friends at Musicbed. Musicbed is a full-service licensing company that makes better music accessible to everyone. To listen to the music we use, visit music.20k.org. You can engage with me and the rest of the 20K team through our website, Facebook, Twitter, or by writing us at hi at 20k.org. Finally, if you'd like to help us financially, I'd be extremely grateful. This show costs a lot of money to make, and if you'd like to hear this show for years to come, consider setting up a recurring monthly donation at 20k.org donate. Thanks for listening. When we sat down to make this show, we had a giant comprehensive list of jingles we had to share. This list got so long that even in this packed episode, we weren't able to bring you all of our favorites. So, in the spirit of Barry Manilow, we bring you our own very strange medley. A double pleasure's waiting for you. A double pleasure for double mid-gum. The snack that smiles back goldfish. Sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Light, bright, light, bright. Turn on the magic of colored lights. Mommy, wow! I'm a big kid now. Don't you wanna plug it in, plug it in? Flop, flop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is.